Well, you could leader Nigel Farage has been involved in an exchange of views with the musician and Remain campaigner Bob Geldof. Mr Farage was with a group of fishing boats that were sailing past Parliament in a protest over European Union fishing policies. No fisherman's friend! You are on the European Parliament Fishing Committee! This industry has been destroyed. And actually, if we go on inside the European Union, God knows where it'll be in five or ten years' time. Brexit is the only solution, and I want my country back. Take Back Control has been the slogan of the year. Don't worry, we'll take our country back very soon. But what does it really mean? Take Back Control. So this is episode five of our special six-part series of the weekly economics podcast. My name is Kirsty Stiles, and this is Really Take Control. This week, how do coastal communities really take control? I'm joined by Fernanda Bellata, who is project lead here at the New Economics Foundation. Hello, Fernanda. Hi, Kirsty. Nearly got it right. Nearly. <laughs> uh, and we're also joined by Andrew Binney, Executive Director of Coast, which is the community of Aaron Seabed Trust. He's uh, joining us via Skype all the way from Scotland. Hello, Andrew. Hi there. Pleased to be with you tonight. So very quickly, Andrew, would you just, uh, for those who don't know, give us a bit of an idea of where Aaron is and then uh, just a bit about what the community of Aaron Seabed Trust is and does. Okay, Aaron's uh, an island about a third smaller than the Isle of Man, uh, except that it's uh, situated in the Firth of Clyde. Uh, so we're, we've been on the go since uh, 1995. Uh, we're a community group. And we're concerned with trying to improve the, the management and the health of the marine environment around Arran and indeed in the whole of the Clyde. Okay, so this is a very exciting podcast for me because I love the seaside and I've been bothering Fernanda trying to get her to come and talk to me about the seaside for a very long time. So this is a special one for me. Okay. First of all, guys, um, what um, do you think makes coastal communities different from other communities in the UK, uh, apart from the sun and the sea? Sun? <laughs> from the sand and the sea and of course the sun. Fernanda? Um, well, the sea is certainly what makes coastal communities unique um, sets them apart. And they have the closest relationship with the ocean, which is this incredible, vast and still quite mysterious um, <laughs> wealth of natural resources. So this coastal setting gives coastal communities specific, distinct characteristics in terms of their heritage and their culture, um, but it also gives them some unique challenges. So if you consider, for example, in terms of planning for development, they have to consider land, the coastal strip, which where the beaches are, and also the marine environment. So that, you know, creates some complex challenges for planning, for example. So also coastal areas now um, also top the, the list of most deprived areas in the UK. That's another reason why we're looking at them as one group uh, with specific characteristics. Um, when compared to non-coastal areas, they see a higher levels of people with low-paid, low-skilled um, employment and secure jobs. They also see higher levels of um, economic inequality and educational underachievement. And coastal towns have higher proportions of people um, at the age of 65 or over. So they have aging populations, which adds extra pressures to public services. And um, this kind of lack of balance in coastal demographics can play a part in the lack of diversity um, in many coastal economies as well. Oh, I knew that the, the actual specifics of seasides would be very interesting. Andrew, you guys are an island uh -huh. uh, as well. So do, what do you think makes your kind of communities different from, from other parts of the UK? Uh, yeah, I would concur with uh, Fernando there. there you know, coastal communities can be, you know, very different from each other, and uh, 
certainly, you know, just traveling around Iron or traveling around the coastal communities around the Clyde, you'll see a huge uh, variety of different kind of communities. Some of them are almost like, you know, dormitory towns. Other ones are, you know, fishing ports. Some are tourism ports. Uh, and and uh, some of them are transport hubs. Obviously, they're, they're, they're beside the sea, which is in the past that was like a, a major route of connectivity with other communities. Uh, but it's less so now where, you know, people t- tend to travel by land rather than by sea. Whereas in the past, uh, you know, the Celtic Sea and Irish Sea, they, that was like, you know, the, the kind of equivalent of the M1 a couple hundred years ago. Okay, we both mentioned a number of challenges there, ageing population, uh, high levels of deprivation. Fernando, why do you think that coastal communities in particular have such a tough time? So this social and economic decline, um, I would say that coastal communities have been experienced in the UK, are not only happening on the coast. I mean, we see other areas in the UK um, where they've lost the traditional industries and have never really recovered and, and the jobs associated with that and have never really recovered from that in the past decades. Um, for, for coastal communities, you know, maybe former seaside resorts or fishing communities, um, agricultural centres, these areas are the ones that face the greatest challenges. But to top it all, the impact of, coast, of climate change will be greater in coastal areas than elsewhere in the country, partly because of the coastal setting, so coastal flooding, coastal erosion, and greater vulnerability to stormy weather but also um, because of the vulnerable state that they find themselves in. Um, so the extra costs on, with, with climate change in terms of um, impact on infrastructure or public services, transport, energy supplies, all those things will be harder to handle when you're already with so little resources already. Okay. And does being, but does being remote, Andrew, does that make it, make it different? You're very far away from, I guess, this, the seat of power here in London. Um, do you guys have it tough there in Aaron? Uh yeah, I think uh, you know that that sort of situation has improved greatly by having uh, devolved government in Scotland. So, you know, we can actually be in Edinburgh by by lunchtime from Aaron. So it's so we're, we are remote, but um, you know, compared to some countries, uh, it's not so remote. Or even other parts of Scotland, we're you know we're probably closer than some other places. But um, you know, what what we do have is uh, access to you know a huge common resource, uh, which if is well managed properly, then, you know, that that should actually, uh, you know, drive local communities. And I think the, one of the major problems we've, we've had in the Clyde is that um, essentially, we've you know, we've, we've overfished the Clyde to the point where there's no white fish, there's no herring, and we're left with fishing for just two, two uh, species, nephrops and uh, scallops. You know, that, that makes us very reliant on just those two species, and there's no, there's no much resilience there in, in, the, in the local economy. You know, one of the things we're 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 pushing for is be, is better management and a you know healthier, more productive seas, and, and we believe that uh, you know biodiversity supports economic diversity. Okay, so lots of coastal communities, Thurrock, uh, uh, Great Yarmouth, being too voted to, as they uh, it's been termed in the media, take back control uh, by leaving the EU in the recent referendum. Do you think that Brexit will give them more control of their future, Fernanda? Well, I certainly hope so, <laughs> but real control rather than just the vague idea of control. Um, and that's why I think we really need a range of voices engaged in helping answer those questions rather than leaving it to a few politicians or 
a very minor um, group of interests um, to answer on behalf of us all. Um, so I think we really need to take control of Brexit first um, so that it can give us more control. Um, and the project I've been leading at the New Economics Foundation for the past couple of years is trying to do just that with coastal communities. So we've allowed the process of enga engaging with a number of communities around the coast um, and bringing people together to actually talk about what are the things that are already happening on our coast that people want to see more of um, and what are the things that still need to happen And because we started this process before Brexit, um, I wasn't very surprised to see that, you know, coastal communities topped the list of the ones that wanted to leave. Um, so we call this project the Blue New Deal, and I think it's even more relevant now um, after Brexit. And it's we put together an action plan that is really a tool for government to get it right for coastal communities, but also for communities to be inspired by the amount of things that are happening on our coast and to see how they can work more collaboratively to actually get things going and not just wait for government to do it. And, and um, Andrew, we know that the Brexit vote went a bit differently in Scotland. What's it? What was it like up, up where you are? Yeah, it's quite a different feel up here. I think there were, you know, it was over 60% voted in favour of staying in the, in the EU. Uh, and I think the reasons for that are quite uh, quite obvious. You know, Scotland's actually done very well, you know, done well out of being part of the EU, and uh, particularly rural and uh, coastal areas as well as inner city areas. Actually, a lot of the you know infrastructure, roads, bridges, uh, you know, ports got huge amounts of investment from the, from the EU. And I think, uh, although there were some coastal towns which probably voted to to leave, I think probably for the most part they actually voted to stay in because. You know, they can see the EU signs attached to you know, large bits of infrastructure around their communities. Okay, um, so we, um, Fernando, what do you, what do you think about the, the the common fisheries policy? No doubt, widely read amongst our listeners, uh, lots of fishers, uh, as we call them, uh, supported Brexit because uh, they thought that we'd lost control of our fishing stocks, and they kind of put some of the blame there at the EU's door. Do you think they'll have more control now? So the common fisheries policy is a complex issue, so no wonder people are not sitting and reading it. Um, it's not a perfect piece of legislation, to be fair, but it has come a long way in, in helping um, with the problem of overfishing, which is um, one of the key things that Coast and Aaron have been trying to address um, in the Clyde. The concerns by fishers over the future of the industry are real and they need to be taken seriously into consideration as we decide what happens post-Brexit. Um, fishing jobs have been in decline for years um, and it's also very hard to recruit people into the industry. But small-scale fishers, they actually contribute the largest to um, fishing ports all around the UK. Um, most of the landings, like not over 90% of the landings in UK ports are by small-scale fishers. Yet, they only get 1.5% of the of access to fishing stocks, um, so fishing quotas, as we call them. Um, so it's a real issue uh, that actually, again, to be fair to the common fisheries policy, um, has always been um, a UK government um, control. So the UK government is the one that has always been in control of deciding how much of the fishing quota different parts of the fishing industry would get. Um, so that's something that, you know, that ask hasn't changed, uh, but certainly, you know, there's an opportunity now if we're going to be rethinking um, how we address fisheries management in the UK to actually get that right. It's really important to say that even though fishing is quite a small, you know, bit of our economy, 
it actually means a lot to many communities around the country. They are called fishing communities for a reason. <laughs> and it's part of their heritage and their culture. And so, again, going back to the idea of communities taking control and being able to decide how they want to their economies to, to look like um, and what they want to support moving forward, that's another reason why, not just an economic value, but another reason why we should be supporting small-scale fishes. Okay, so... They're um, fish sustainably, by the way, sorry. Hashtag fish facts, thank you very much. So if, if Brexit, we don't think Brexit is necessarily going to help coastal communities uh, take back control. Andrew, what do you what do you think about how we, uh, communities like yours, really take control uh, of their future? Uh, well, I mean, I hope I hope that, uh, you know, there are more opportunities, whether it's through Brexit or other, other means to, uh, for local communities to take more control over how their local waters are managed. Uh, we would certainly like to see a lot more uh, small-scale fishermen, uh, guys doing, uh, you know, creeling and scallop, scallop diving. And we'd also like to see uh, sea angling return, return to the Clyde. That was actually a huge industry in the Clyde, which supported lots of little, um, you know, bait shops and guys, you know, hiring out uh, boats for the day, that type of thing. So, the you know, the, the story in the Clyde is kind of similar to other, other part, parts of the UK. Um, and a lot of the, you know, the, 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 the problems up here are really nothing to do with uh, the common fisheries policy, but really uh, how successive governments have decided to manage the insure waters. And, uh, you know, that's not going to that's not going to change uh, through uh, Brexit necessarily. But what we've been doing is um, you know, building a local uh, consensus around better management of, of our insure waters. You know, if you, if you have healthier waters, if you have you know, more, more sea life, more, you know, seals, uh, dolphins, basking sharks, that type of thing, then, you know, that, that attracts, uh, you know, more tourism to the area. And, you know, really what, what um, coastal communities are about, I think, is trying to develop uh, mixed marine economies that are not totally reliant on fishing and not totally reliant on, you know, tourism or not reliant on being a ferry port, that type of thing. So it's trying to get that, it's trying to get that mix, and that's always going to be more resilient over, over time, but you really need to get local communities to kind of buy, you know, to buy into that idea and to have the confidence to uh, drive those those things forward and to demand that uh, their MPs and the government actually notice them because there's, there's a real tendency to either you know ignore coastal communities or or to you know patronise them or to see them as places you just go to once a year. That's not what I think at all, Andrew. <laughs> I love the seaside. Um, no, so, I know you don't think that. So you mentioned earlier that, that um, a lot of these places uh, had received a significant amount of uh, EU investment, uh, Fernanda. Do you think that these places continue to need investment? And how do you think we're going to get that kind of investment into coastal communities now? You know, Brexit, oh, I was going to say, or no <laughs> Brexit. Brexit is coming, but, um, you know, given that we're leaving the EU. That, that that that's what we need to answer in terms of you know all the the EU funding that supports lots of the kind of projects that actually are really good projects in terms of delivering environmental sustainability and um, supporting communities and diversify their economies as Andrew um, was mentioning um, were funded by EU. So what we want to see certainly is the UK government acknowledging that and putting you know, backing these projects and continue to back these projects with the same amount of money, if not more, because that those are the kind of things that people want to see happening and they want to be uh, supported. Um, now, the level of investment is certainly a, a, a good um, question as well, because um, communities, 
you know, are doing incredible things already and they are um, creating lots of innovative um, projects. But going back to the, the, the issue of infrastructure and connectivity, all those things, I mean, communities are not going to on their own build cross-country railroads or, um, you know, um, restore like um, um, big pieces of, of coastal land, um, things that are needed actually to support more resilient communities. So the gov- it needs public investment, um, that's the bottom line. Um, but we also need um, a finance system that can actually support more local projects. So um, the idea that Obviously, at the New Economics Foundation, we do quite a lot of work on of having more local banks that respond to local needs, um, but also local authorities being more innovative and um, using their 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 the the money that goes into pension funds, for example, into um, investing into other types of of of, of um, projects. So yeah, there are lots of things that that can be done already, but public investment it's it's a big thing for coastal communities. Okay, and do you, and, and uh, Andrew, do you think you've got the kind of ear of the right people, and do you think that investment will continue to come your way, or is it still a bit of a, an uphill battle? Uh, well, it's going to be interesting if we're if I say the EU was a, the EU was a was a kind of major way of redistributing uh, wealth to you know poorer areas and rural areas and uh, island communities. Uh, and it, it will be interesting to see if, if uh, governments, although they say they will keep doing that, you know, whether there's the same kind of political pressure or the same kind of objectivity uh, remains to be seen, I think. Um, in terms of uh, investment, of course, like, we, you know, we would like to see more investment in infrastructure. Interestingly, Aaron had uh, better infrastructure in terms of uh, pier and uh, step ashore facilities 100 years ago uh, than, it, than it does now. Uh, we only have uh, one uh, major pier in the island uh, at present. Uh, but it, it, I think there's other ways you can look at investment. You know, what, I, I think I think we tend to miss is that you can actually invest in the marine environment simply by uh, leaving it alone or leaving areas of it fallow for for periods of time. And that's a kind of investment in terms of that you are you're not seeking to exploit it over say a five or 10 year period, but in, in the longer term, you have a healthier marine environment and you have better returns from it. So, you know, not all investment actually has to involve huge amounts of money. Some of it's just political will. So that's what you guys have created, a, a separate area on Aram where you're allowed to fish and where you're not allowed to fish, is that is that right? Yeah, we, we've created uh, two uh, spatial management areas. One's a no-take zone where there's, where there's no fishing of any sort, but there can be all sorts of, uh, you know, marine sports and, uh, you can sail through the area, that type of thing. Uh, and the other is uh, the South Arm Marine Protected Area, which now includes the no-take zone. Uh, and that's an area of 280 square kilometres around the south of Arran, which sounds quite a lot, but it's actually you know, a relatively modest area. And that, in turn, is part of the Scottish Marine Protected Area Network, which uh, goes right the way around Scotland and includes a lot of uh, sea lochs and island areas around the west coast of Scotland and, and also areas further out to sea as well. Okay, so cynical people, Fernando, uh, would say that in a globalised world, uh, we're trying to rescue areas, uh, perhaps of the country and industries uh, in the UK, like fishing, that just can't compete uh, anymore uh, with the rest of the world. What, what would you say to that? I think there's there are two aspects to this question. Um, one, that the reason why many industries are not surviving in the current economic system is because it is an unfair system to begin with. Um, so you can rethink local economies 
as Coast has done in Aaron, um, in many ways to support the things that we need or we care about. Uh, but to support local economies, we also need these wider structural changes to how our economy operates. So instead of the norm um, that has become to place greater value on activities that deliver short-term financial returns, as again, going back to Aaron, you know, you can decide, you know, make the decision to actually say we're going to protect an area of, of the sea and not exploit it and let it grow and, and let it be more productive for the future. So I think that if we allow communities or regions to be in control of what they want their economy to look like, they can design it in a way that supports the local sustainable fishing industry, for example, if that's what they care about, or that supports the divers or the anglers or the tourism industry. Okay, so to finish, Andrew, your organisation, Coast, as we've uh, we've heard, um, is trying to help people on Arran take more control of their local uh, waters around Arran in the Firth of Clyde. What are your future plans? What can we expect to hear next from you? What we're working on at the moment is uh, a marine uh, discovery and activity centre that's going to be uh, situated on the shore in Lumlash. Uh, and the idea is there, there is that we, uh, you know, although we've 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 succeeded in getting an area designated as a marine protected area, we have to really show that we can make uh, the most of that and realise the full potential of that in terms of its uh, the, uh, the, for the local economy. In terms of local, um, you know, traditions and local society, uh, and you know, make make it um, uh, work, you know, in, in in a number of different in a number of different ways, so that people actually see the benefits of of uh, MPAs. If it's just a designation on a map or a line on a map, then you know that's not really going to mean much. Uh, but we, you know, we might have some kind of marine maze on the shore, or we might have, uh, a, you know, get a, a whale skeleton. That uh, you know, kids can look at. We might have a virtual dive in a some kind of you know yellow submarine or something like that. Lots of ideas to to really realise the you know the full potential of the of the MPA. That's our next step. Excellent. Okay. Well, while well, I've got you, I'm going to suggest orienteering because that sounds fun. Um, guarantees you what at least one visitor, and we've got quite a lot of listeners as well. So maybe we'll 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 be taking. Great. Hope to see you up here. Charter chartering a coach and coming up to Aaron. Um, so thank you so much, um, Andrew, for um, taking the time out to chat to us today, and um, great work um, so far on what you guys have been doing. And really good to hear um, that you are taking that control of your community. Fernando, thank you so much for giving us. Thank you. So we'll be back for the final episode of our Really Take Control mini series, where actually the CEO of the New Economics Foundation, uh, Mark Steers, will be stepping into my rather large shoes um, as the guest host for the final uh, of our six parter. Uh, he'll be talking to some very special guests about combating the rising racism and anti immigration feeling in the UK uh, and how we can help post industrial communities really take control. Uh, I'll be back uh, the week after with our Christmas special. You will be very excited to hear. Um, and it's our last episode of the year. Um, so um, we'd love to have you with us. Um, thanks so much for listening thus far. Uh, we will uh, see you very soon. Thank you very much.